now it's now we're being like, we got it, I guess. Let's see. Let's see how that works out for us. All right. It says we're on. Let's record this to the cloud because why wouldn't we? Uh oh. It's official now. It's official. All right. I think we're on Facebook. Hey, guess what? It's Whiskey Wednesday. Uh, everybody calls everybody else calls this hump day. We all call it the best day of the goddamn week. Because it's Wednesday, and um, they're already primed uh, because um, Ben is Ben Boyce is here. He is the luxury manager for Dalmore, Dalmore for Jewel. the United States. Yep, for a few of the brands within White and Mackay, but yeah, okay. for the United States. And well, he knows how to treat a crowd right because <laughs> he gave you all. Russ is out there handing him out right now. He gave you all a welcome co- uh, welcome cocktail because he wanted you primed. He says we sound better if the more you drink. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it's the other way around. I I sound better the more. Ah, that's it. That's it. That's it. That must be it. (laughs) All right. So, you know, this is sort of one of those type of things that I, you know, we haven't done down more in a while. All right. Um, I'm pretty psyched about it. For some reason we're doing, we, we got two, we got two, we got two going on right now. They're both live, which is awesome. I love it. All right. Zuckerberg's messing with me now. Um, but we haven't done Dalmore in a while. And there's been so many like sort of uh, cool changes that have gone to Dalmore, which we're going to, we're definitely going to get into tonight. We should definitely talk about that. Love it. Um, about the product itself, the product line and stuff like that. But before we start anything, because it's not on our, it's not on our tables right now, everybody, everybody has the welcome cocktail. Let, would you tell everybody what you uh, what concoction you poured, poured for them tonight? Yeah. So, I mean, um, over COVID, um, I got really, really good at and, uh, enjoying a dram <laughs> at about 9 a.m. You can't uh, drink all day unless you start in the morning. That's it, a scientific fact. That is true. That is true. Uh, so I, I was doing a lot of Zoom. I was doing a lot of Teams. I was doing a lot of like master classes and tastings. And uh, it, I know it's blasphemy to say this, but there's only so much whiskey I can drink. So I was like, I know everybody's such like, a liar. Whoa. Just a good start with this new guy. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, uh, I decided to kind of try something a little bit different. So some of my background is in the cocktail industry. So I started to um, take some of the flavors that I love the most. I love a good citrus. I love a good uh, bitter Amaro. Can't you see his wife coming downstairs in the morning? He's got like 50 bottles out in front of him. Yeah. At like 8 o'clock in the morning, goes, shh, trying to find something. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. It's COVID. I've lost him. I've lost him. So I uh, I went to one of my one of my uh, one of my favorite amaros, which is going to be Montenegro. So this this particular amaro has been around for many 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 years since 1885, and has been a staple in uh, in most bars. If you go across the United States and across the world, you'll find this particular amaro pretty much set and ready to go. You saw I a like lot of it, it here. Yeah, it's yeah. it goes it goes well. It's uh, if you don't have it for your personal bar, I definitely recommend buying one of these as well because it just goes well in almost all things. Um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but it's almost like the bartender's ketchup. You can put it into pretty much anything and it tastes fantastic. That's good. So it's uh, it's good additive. So if you're feeling like your cocktail is a little bit off, add a little bit of uh, Amaro Montenegro and it's going to be excellent. Uh, so I did a um, um, kind of a one part, one part. So it's going to be one ounce Dalmore 12. It's going to be one ounce Amaro Montenegro. It's going to be on a big ice cube and a lemon twist. That's it. This That's is why awesome. it was my COVID cocktail because it was really easy to make at nine o'clock in the morning because I wasn't quite. Yeah, ready. there you go. I mean, coffee was yeah. up, only did so much, and then I had to get into the the cocktail. You know what they say? Don't be bitter; the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> I know there's going to be a couple dad jokes in there. I like that. Let's throw a dad a, joke in there every once in a while. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a wonderful tomorrow. It's a, I think it's a, it complements the the uh, the 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 Dalmore really twelve. Really, really well. I mean, especially when you're looking at the DNA of Dalmore, it's really chocolate and orange. So you put that in with the Amaro, and it's just a beautiful balance. Now, the, and and part of this is too is now that now that we sort of have like the Dalmore has like two twelves. This is the re- the one you used in this cocktail. I should yeah. point out is the the regular twelve. I, I hate to say the regular, the flagship twelve. How's that? Is we'll that call better? this one. This is what I I always call this one. This was going to be Andrew's masterpiece. Now this is the whiskey that mm-hmm. we've had in production since eighteen eighty. Okay. Uh, Andrew McKenzie, who was the one who originally kind of put to, uh, produced this particular whiskey. You know, it's as we say, it's perfect the way it is. So why why mess with it? Uh, so this particular whiskey starts off an ex-bourbon for roughly right around nine years. And then we transfer it and we split it about 50-50. Half the time stays in bourbon. 
The other half goes into hand-selected 30-year-old sherry casks that we exclusively get from Gonzales Villas called their coveted Matusalem Oloroso. Uh, if you're a sherry buff, you'll know this one pretty well because it's a VORS certified, which stands for very old, rare sherry. Uh, it is also a Latin word, which I'm not even going to try at this point. There you go. Uh, but it is regulated by the actual Consega and, and Jerezo de la Fontera as a minimum 30-year-old Solera sherry. So it is very, 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 very rich. Uh, but it also and these has, are the barrels that like the, the the staves are like planks. Yeah, they're, they're very thick. They're like these are the old school well, barrels. They're, they're the uh, the sherry butts, yeah. as they call it. And it's not really about, you know, and it, I usually do a little bit of a caveat when you'll hear me. And most people will be like, what's a butt? What's a pipe? What's a hog head? You know, like there's there's a lot of terms, especially if you're not used to it, the the spirits world, or even the wine world. You know, you may think I'm speaking in tongues or or being very crude, but no, this is this is a style of cask. It's a cask that usually is roughly right around 500 liters, and it's made primarily, even those big thick staves, to stay put, not to move. Right. So it's usually part of a solera. So for us to get our hands on these particular casks is pretty special. Um, they usually don't last much more than about maybe first, second, maybe a third fill because they are so big, and when you fill them up, they get extremely brittle and they can fall apart pretty quickly. So this is why when you see seasoned sherry casks, they're traditionally going to be, or like more commonly, uh, hogsheads yep. in the in the American, or excuse me, in the Scotch whiskey world. All right. Very good. Um, did you guys like the cocktail? So, like, I mean, I love stuff like this. Uh, two ingredients. Uh, Simple. I, I, I'm one of those people, mix it in a minute. If, I, if it takes longer for me for a minute to mix this thing up, I'm usually you lose me. Yeah. So this yeah. is like one of those type of things I can put this together really quickly and I can pretty much drink a lot of them because they're quite delicious I mean, and they're if, not overly sweet either. If you want to wow, like your, you know, your house guests, you can take some sage and take a blowtorch and wave it around the top of the actual cocktail and, and you can <laughs> get rid of evil spirits. Exactly. There you go. I mean, you can be like the amount of time that I put into this cocktail is extravagant, but really it's keep it simple, stupid. Yep, exactly. Oh, I like that one. All right. So now, now more on to this, some of the serious bits here. All right. So the first one we're trying, the number one, the first one we're trying tonight is the Dalmore 12 year, but this is the Sherry Cast Select. Yeah. That's this bottle right it's here. Right there. It's going to be that nice blue one instead of the maroon like we had with the original 12. <clears throat> so this uh, is purple. You see purple or blue? Purple. I'm going to go with it's, blue. It's royal blue. <laughs> indigo. It's not indigo. Come on. It's it's the lighting. We're looking it's at the tung- lighting. It's the tungsten okay. light instead of the uh, the, uh, the, the the halogen light bulbs. 43% ABV. For everybody to know, percentages. 43%. It's uh so the original the original uh Dalmore 12 is going to be uh, 80 proof, which when um uh, um, Andrew McKenzie particularly put this particular whiskey together. It was very special, not just for Scottish history or for Dalmore history, but Scottish history. You start seeing um, actual like documented proof of an intentional switching from one cast to another. Okay. You know, today we think of the Highland whiskey style, uh, which, you know, is really hard to give it a distinct like flavor profile, but you can't really argue the fact that they like to do cask to cask to cask. So they're more famous for devoid of peat, multiple cast uh, maturation. You see this with like, you know, even like Glenmorangie, which is not too far away from where Dalmore is. Uh, very different whiskeys, very yeah. different whiskeys, but still that multiple cast, cast uh, maturation. So when I think about Highland whiskeys, I usually think about um, describing them almost like the muscle car of the Scotch whiskey re- region. So they're big, they're bold. They've got a lot to say, not, not abrasive, but a lot to say in one particular sip. Uh, and when you're looking at Dalmore 12, uh, the original, this for me, and the reason why I got... Uh, into working with Dalmore is this was kind of my go-to when I would do education and training as describing a style of a region because it has that multiple cast transfer and it also is using very distinct sherry casks so that quote-unquote sherry bomb characteristic which is going to be decadent it's going to be deep it's going to be rich you're going to get a lot of um, you know dried fruit nut forward characteristics uh, but still a lot going on uh, in comparison, we have the new 12 Sherry Cast Select, which actually came out this last uh, this last February, actually. Uh, and this is where we're starting to see an introduction, really, of a personality type of our newest member to the White Mackay team, uh, of, of, of very recognizable and also a name that most people know. Uh, Greg Glass is kind of our headmaster blender into the uh, the White Mackay portfolio. So Richard Patterson, most people know Richard Patterson because he's 
Richard Patterson. I mean, you go online and you type in the nose, you'll find 10 million videos about him tasting and, and uh, nosing whiskey. He's, he was trending recently. Yeah. Oh, there was a, there was a meme that went out and I don't yeah. think anybody realized who he was. Right. They were just more, more enamored by the gentleman who was taking whiskey and chucking it on the ground. So, which is unfortunate. If you've ever seen him, um, usually you wear safety goggles. That's usually the best thing to do. He's a great guy. One and of his, uh, one of the fixtures in this industry. He really is. Uh, he was actually, um, uh, um, um, you know, prior to the queen passing away, you know, uh, rest her soul. She actually um, gave Richard a little bit of a little homage. You know, the, he was, he was uh, distinctly, I think it was OBE, but it's uh, basically he was knighted. And you don't get knighted in the whiskey world because you make great whiskey. You get knighted because you're really taking something that is special to the community, meaning Great Britain, and you're taking it to a global perspective. Right. So, I mean, he's he is arguably one of the most iconic uh, whiskey ambassadors of the last 50 years. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Hands down. And by the way, you know, uh, Greg, who um, most of I think some of you know that Greg was work, worked with John. John, John Glacier at, at Compass Box. And um, I got the pleasure of working with Greg to do our whiskey that we did with Aster and Daniel Fisher um, out of New York, which was called Rivals. And he was um, he was part of that team working on that product. So um, I got to actually blend whiskey with, with him. Oh, fantastic, amazing. fantastic guy. And uh, love the fact that he's even gone on to greater heights. And by the way, I mean, look, you know, talk about tutelage. Uh, look, <laughs> he's he's uh, studied with with John Glazier and then Richard Patterson. I mean, yeah, two of the biggest icons. Yeah, I mean, Scottish, you know, and Scottish whiskey blending. And I think he started at a very good base just on his own. Yeah. And so um, I'm waiting to see. Now, this is again, this is what we're starting to see some of the stuff coming now with Greg. Um, is such as this the Dalmore 12 Sherry Cast Select. So going a little bit into Greg Glass, um, like I knew about Greg Glass prior to actually starting with Dalmore, uh, just because I, like everybody in this room, I'm an enthusiast first and foremost. Like I love whiskey, and I love tasting good whiskey from around the world. Doesn't necessarily mean it's bourbon or Scotch or Japanese or Taiwanese or even you know from Tasmania. As long as it's good whiskey, I generally tend to enjoy mm -hmm. uh, enjoy uh, going down the rabbit hole and understanding it. But Greg was one that always kind of popped off to me because he was always doing something that was a little bit funky and obscure. You know, yeah, a little whole, bit out of the box. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, you know, I have I've had the pleasure of working with Greg a few times, and I remember the first time I worked with him, I was like, Greg, well, how would you describe your style? And he's, you know, he'll probably deny that I ever said this or completely forgot at this point, but it stuck with me and it resonated. He's like, I don't really ever try to try to think outside the box. I just try to make my box bigger and add more to it. So he's taking old ideas and contemporary ideas and com combining them together. And you see that a lot with the Sherry Cast Select, which is the whiskey we're going to try here in just a moment. So if the original 12 is a quintessential classic Highland whiskey, the new 12 Sherry Cast Select is really that next whiskey generation kind of showing through on on on, uh, on Highland style. So this whiskey love the nose on this one starts off in ex bourbon casks for roughly right around nine years again, and then we transfer into sherry seasoned casks. Now almost everything that we do at Dalmore is going to be something that was a classic cask, something that originally held something of value or something of value and also prestige from the actual wineries themselves. But in the case of this particular piece, this is where we're starting to see a little bit more of that John Glazier characteristic come through. So we worked in partnership with um, different farmers and landowners across uh, Europe and across Scotland. And Greg, in his little Volkswagen um, uh, GTI, traveled all over Scotland, even working with John Glazier, collecting samples, getting to know people, collecting tree samples, looking at different forests and lands and understanding this botany. Uh, and he uh, has he came up with an idea of really kind of cultivating seasoned casks, which is not an uncommon thing in Scotch history. It's Scotch whiskey. About, I'd say about 80% of seasoned sherry casks come from casks that were coopered exclusively to make for whiskey. But what he did is he actually went and he worked with three different cooperages in, uh, in Spain. So Paez, Yacima, and also um, uh, uh, um, uh, Tavesa, which are recognized as like very classic producers of casks for sherry. Uh, Tavessa specifically, and I've had a chance to actually go to this particular cooperage, mm -hmm. they still do it all by hand. I mean, they probably have the same tools that they used about 150 years ago. Obviously, they have some more technology where they're utilizing machines to kind of help 
bring some of those casts together. They're not still doing it by hand, which is probably very smart. Uh, but from the beginning to the end, there's one person that basically takes those on. So they go through the stave collection and they're starting to make the cask. Once they get the shape of the actual cask, they take it over and they put it into the um, uh, mister system, which is basically where they keep the wood nice and nice and wet. So it brings the pliability of the actual wood into okay. shape. And then from there, they'll actually take and put it into a very um, classic, uh, um, from a historical perspective, way of actually toasting casks. They're all done by hand. So it's not a conveyor belt. They blow the heat to toast or to uh, to char. It's literally done by hand. They just throw you know leftover pieces of wood into the middle of this giant pit. They roll the, board, the barrel over the top, and then they have an adjustment where they can do the airflow. Okay. So from there, they'll uh, <clears throat> they'll finish off the cask, and then what we'll do is we'll actually take sherry that Greg has hand selected from um, Fundador, which is going to be one of the bigger sherry producers that make sherry for whiskey seasoning, and using eight-year-old Oloroso and also eight-year-old Pedro Jimenez. So two very very distinctly different styles of sherry. Just get sort of that dryness. You get some of that sweetness, sweetness. in there, and now you're 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 sort of complementing. Both in your in your seasoning separately, seasoning separately, separately. two different casks. Yeah, uh, and from uh, from what I was gathering from Greg, it's just roughly right around eight years, give okay. or take. So about eight times longer than the Scotch Whiskey Association requires uh, requires for the actual seasoning of casks, and then he just lets them rest, and they do about any between two years to three years, depending on how long Greg thinks it's going to be until it's ready. Uh, and then bringing them back together again. So this is going to be a combination of not one, but two different types of sherry, PX as well as Oloroso, but it's taking something that Greg is very passionate about, and that's going around Europe and finding very unique partnerships in different types of wood, uh, trees, natural felled, or even old felled trees in creating these particular casks. Is there so, any particular, what, what type of wood are they using in these? Is it limousine? Is it I think, you know, not 100% sure on this one, but I think it's still American white oak. Right. So, okay, all right. Uh, but it is uh, usually a combination of um, uh, of uh, trees that he's actually found himself, mm. which is also really, really cool. It's tough to fit a tree in a Volkswagen. Uh, last time I checked, you just can put it right on top. There you go. Just fork lift. Put wheels on the back. Yeah, but it's uh, it's also, it speaks to Greg's passion, and, you know, and he's uh, most recently was recognized as Icon's Whiskey Blunder of the Year. Uh which is an accomplishment in its own. And Absolutely. especially in your mid thirties, that's, I think that's pretty exceptional. Uh, but more importantly, he's also famous in the uh, woodworking realm of Europe. A lot of hmm. people don't realize that he is and loves to work with wood. He gets in uh, with his hands and he starts making furniture. He also makes uh, uh, different types of like decisions on different types of breeds, or it's not breeds, sorry, species of, of, uh, of trees. Uh, more importantly, uh, working with and starting to kind of cultivate and bring back an idea of Scottish oak, which personally, when I think of Scotch whiskey, I think Scottish oak should be hands in hand kind of combination, but it really right. isn't used. If you like furniture, it's fantastic, but it's not the greatest for, for, for whiskey. And it's not necessarily because it's like, uh, like, uh, like, um, uh, 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 it's like the straight. It's like the how because it doesn't grow as straight. Yeah, it's not it, like Mizanar is like that where they saw it, it doesn't really grow in a straight line. Yeah. So it makes it more difficult to to actually make staves. Yeah. So he's he's been working with uh, different landowners to basically you know in a sense kind of train or cultivate the trees to actually grow in a straight line, which takes time. In fact, uh, one of the other whiskeys that we that seem like a generational though, project. It is. It is. <laughs> Uh, for some of you that, that know different cooperages, you'll probably know the name Space Ed Cooperage, mm -hmm. which is, of course, you know, famous for being able to kind of recreate, sorry, uh, uh, reconstruct and also repair casks. Uh, and that for the last 30 years, that's what they've done. They've taken old casks, repaired them, and sold them to the Scotch whiskey industry. So Greg has actually been working with the Space Ed Cooperage, and for the first time about three years ago, two years ago, uh, he saw new Scottish oak casks go off the line. He said one of his proudest moments wasn't necessarily that it was something that he was going to use, but his competitor was going to use. So he's always had that thought process of like, I want to make sure that whiskey next generation has the best tools possible. So when we look at Sherry Cast Select, and that was a very long way of getting to this. No, it's okay. Whiskey, 
They uh, drank it already. It's, it's it's fine. So take your time. It's it's gone. <laughs> gone a long time ago. This particular whiskey, I always say, is kind of like that next generation or the new generation of whiskey makers. It's bright. It's vibrant. It's spicy. It's juicy. You're getting a lot more fruit forward yeah, characteristics. Definitely. It's a little unbalanced in comparison to the original 12, which is very balanced, but still with that DNA of chocolate and orange. Yeah, but it's got those high notes in it, which which creates that unbalanced sort of part of it. But that's its strength. Yeah. Is 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 those those sort of high notes, that punchiness that it, it has. You get some of that red fruit in there that that's like shining above other other parts of it. Yeah. Really nice. Which brings me to our uh, very first uh, untraditional piece of tasting these particular whiskeys, and these are these chocolates. Uh, so a little bit of a, a little bit of a caveat: if you do have uh, nuts allergies, if you do have any type of dietary restrictions, there um, try to stay away from them. You know. Give them to your partner. I'm sure somebody's going to be more than willing to eat your chocolates if you can. Uh, but like, for example, the very first. Make sure you ask right before here. you just eat your neighbor's chocolate. OK. Uh, All right. I don't want anybody reaching across and just grabbing stuff. No fights. No, no fights. No, no so we're going to try something a little bit different. So this is a dark chocolate truffle that has a dark chocolate ganache on the uh, on the inside. It's about 72 percent. Uh, and it also has a little bit of an orange or candied orange uh, uh, on the very, very top. Now, before you go in and you dive into this particular truffle, I want you to pick it up and I want you to hold on to it. Now, a little bit about the actual truffle maker. So now hold on to your truffle. Don't, don't let it go. It's already gone. I already know. So uh, this is this is where I usually caveat. And I usually, say, usually I have to tell them not to drink all the whiskey because we're going to compare some stuff. I forgot <laughs> today to tell them not do not eat your chocolate truffle. All right. So yeah, yeah. my fault. No, there is an extra chocolate truffle, so I hope you enjoyed it. My 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 favorite my favorite way of enjoying whiskey is I say don't drink whiskey like an American. Like we tend to take everything very quickly. In fact, one of my that's well, called getting to the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not really good at that. I'm not really good at that. But uh, uh, one of my favorite references, and it was just like an epiphany moment for me one time when I was doing a whiskey tasting, is I think American Western movies have done more to ruin whiskey in the United States than mm -hmm. anything I can think of. Because the good guy has a bad day. He goes, barkeep, give me a whiskey and just knocks it back. Well, right. We do that not only with our whiskey, but with our food. And for some of you, and I'm looking at some of you out on the crowd right there, your truffles. So this truffle yeah. is, uh, for those of you that have been holding I have a nut truffle, allergy. That's why I'm not eating the chocolate. It's not that I jumped ahead <laughs> and ate all my chocolate. Just saying. For those of you that didn't finish your truffle and you're holding on to it, you'll notice that it's starting to get a little bit tacky. And it's done that way on purpose. So just like opening up your whiskey, you don't want to go nuts and start swirling it around. You want to softly kind of open it up and balance it on the inside of the glass. Same thing with your truffle. You want to let that truffle start to melt a little bit because when it melts, a lot of those natural esters are starting to open up. And even some of the compounds, you're going to get some chocolate notes, vanilla notes, even a little bit of caramel notes. But when he knows this, that chocolate really comes alive. So now that you've got this truffle, I want you to flip it upside down. So the flat part is on the very, very bottom, is, is, is at the top. And I want you to take a small bite, chew it a little bit, leave it on the top of your uh, tongue and press it to the roof of your palate and let it sit there. And I want you to count backwards from 10. So 10, nine, You didn't know this was going to be a test. Seven, six, five, four, three. Wait until we get to the dance portion. Exactly. It's coming. Uh, two, one. At this point, chew a little bit more. You'll notice that the chocolate has started to spread across your palate and then try this whiskey one more time and see what you think. I'll be watching you and drinking my whiskey. Yeah, and for those of you that already drank your whiskey and ate your chocolate virtually, just think of it, like close your eyes and mentally, like I can see this, I can see this. I have some um, a nut safe uh, chocolate at home that's dark cacao, which I will be bringing some whiskey home and trying that. My, my, uh, my, my, um, my favorite thing to say is, you know, if you're going to have a great date night, start off with chocolate, with the champagne and strawberries. You can't go wrong. Don't break it if it's not broken or don't change it if it's not broken, but finish off with some dark chocolate and single malts from the Highland region. It's just a beautiful combination of flavors. Now the chocolate tier that we actually partner with is a company in Chicago called Vosges chocolates. So it's a, um, sister owned company, mm -hmm. uh, Katrina and, um, and, um, Katrina and uh, Natalie Markoff, uh, they take the same philosophy that we do. It's about quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. It's about sourcing more than anything else. Uh, Katrina, who's the creative, will actually go on uh, uh, outs and search for ingredients for upwards of about six months every single year, looking for the quality more than anything else. 
and it's big for them on sustainability. It's big for them on, on um, really kind of that bean to bar philosophy of really kind of supporting smaller farmers and looking at good quality products. And it also takes on the same kind of DNA that we also do, where it's really about sourcing more than mm. anything else. So this particular truffle, if you have any left, go ahead and finish it off, is actually going to be made with Dalmore 12. So it's actually in the actual truffle itself. So I hope you enjoy that one. And for those of you with the second truffle, don't eat it. That's your one warning. <laughs> You're too late again. <laughs> but um, a good try. Um, no, but what did you guys think? Right? It's sort of a yeah. more of a sensory experience. Exactly. Exactly. Doing that. I mean, it's, uh, it's about changing your perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's about really trying something different. And if you're thinking about what, at least for me, what luxury means, because we talk about Dalmore and it's considered a luxury brand. Well, what does that mean? For me, it's about that experience. It's about something that I you know, could, uh, couldn't necessarily buy, but would love the opportunity to kind of create something sensory for, for yourself in the case of, of whiskey and actual chocolates. Very nice. Ready for what did you guys? Well, what did you guys think? Now, we didn't try the other one straight, so the regular twelve. But did you guys like this sherry? Select sherry cast one. I think it's really good. Sherry cast select. I will get the name right yep. sooner or later. So, if you're thinking about Downmore twelve, the original, this is a very classic Highland. If you're thinking about Downmore twelve sherry cast select, this is like that next generation. It was. It, I always use wine as a reference mm. as well, like old world wine versus new world wine. Okay. Let me use the same grapes, but the way they make them is completely different. Really neat. And so the next one we're going to try is the Dalmore 14 year. Yes, I'm very excited about that. So, so Greg Glass worked in partnership or really under the guidance of Richard Patterson working with Dalmore 12 Sherry Select. Okay. This is Richard Patterson, for those of you that don't know this, but he is taking a step back. Greg, this last September was actually announced as our headmaster blender for all White Mackay brands. So this is going to be Dalmore, Jura, Feta Karen, which unfortunately is not in the U.S. yet. We're working on that, though. We're working on that yet, which if you have never tried it, is a phenomenal, phenomenal whiskey. Uh, as well as Tom the Bullen, which is going to be kind of like your everyday space yeah, side drink. Good stuff. Which, uh, you know, considering it's about thirty two ninety nine on the shelf, like definitely punches way above its weight. Yeah. So Greg is now, now overseeing the overall quality stuff. Now, Richard is still involved. He still has a contract with White Mackay. He's still making Dalmore. He just gets to sit back and say, Greg, do this. Greg, do that. Uh, I'm going to go hang out over here and drink $150,000 bottles of scotch whiskey. So he's earned the right at this point. Yeah, you know, I mean, he gets to do every once in a while. Gets needs to meet, like, yeah, you know. Little exciting pieces like when we launch, uh, we actually just uh, this last year we actually uh, Richard launched what we call decades, uh, which is really a representation of the last 60 years of Dalmore history. Uh, there was one set that actually had six bottles, uh, and one of the bottles that he bottled, Richard Patterson says he adopted. So, since he's been there since 54 years, that was already sitting and waiting to be actually put into a particular bottle. Uh, and it's a representation of six different decades which sold at Sotheby's in Hong Kong for about 1.1 million. So this is what Richard gets to play with. You know, Greg is still doing the core uh, development of our whiskeys, but he's also bringing some really exciting things down the line, which we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, but the 14, let's get into that one. So 14, I am excited to say that in September, we finally launched this particular whiskey. And this is the very first Dalmore US exclusive whiskey. So you won't find it anywhere else. Uh, I've had some colleagues that come over from the distillery and the first thing they do when they get off the plane is say, where's my 14? I can't get it even there. So we're pretty excited about having this in the U.S. Uh, alone. Uh, this particular whiskey starts off in ex-bourbon casks, again, for roughly right around 12 years. Uh, and then we do a finish in 30-year-old sherry casks. Now, I mentioned that earlier with the original mm-hmm. 12. but We're changing sherry at this point. We're actually utilizing Gonzales Bias, what they call Noe, which is, again, another one of their coveted wines that they actually produce, which is a 30-year-old Pedro Jimenez sherry. Um, who can tell me the difference between an Oloroso, which is traditionally what you'll find as a, as a, as a finish for Scotch whiskeys, and Pedro Jimenez? We're talking about sweetness, yeah. more about more a sweet, lot of it is PX is about sweetness level. Yeah, so to give you a, a very, like, speed-dating version of what is sherry, now, for the sherry buffs that are out there, please don't hate me. This is going to be quick. 
this is, uh, we're looking at three different grape varietals that you can use in sherry. There's going to be Palomino Fino, there's going to be PX or Pedro Jimenez, as well as Moscatel, which is traditionally you'll see in like a Moscato, for example, same kind of grape varietal. Those are the only three that you can use in making sherry. Now about 90% of it is Palomino Fino. This is what you're going to see for the two different categories that you usually find in, 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 uh, in sherry, which is either going to be a biologically fortified wine or it's going to be an oxidized fortified wine. Now, the first series of oxidized wines, which is going to be about a wine that is aged at 18% alcohol and above, the air basically turns it into a fortified wine, is going to be an Oloroso, which by category is right around eight years. Now, it's usually very, 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 very dry. Like it's, so you, you nose it and it smells sweet. You're going to get some note characteristics, but that is very, very dry on the palate. In comparison, there's two other grape varietals that it's going to make up about the other like 8%, which is going to be PX or Pedro Menes and Moscatel. So PX is going to be picked from the actual wine, uh, from the grapevine, put on a big wicker basket, dried out to almost like a raisin. Then it's pressed and then it's going in for the oxidation portion. So the natural sugars are much, 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 much higher. Uh, but because it isn't necessarily going through a biological process, it's going through an oxidation process, you're not going to lose a lot of the sweetness. So those casks will usually be about eight years. To give you some context, like a bottle, like a, you know, a 750 bottle, like the size of the Dalmore right here, uh, it will have, or an Oloroso will be about 14 to maybe 20 grams of sugar. So it's pretty dry. But a PX, especially an eight-year-old PX, will have anywhere between 100 to 150 grams of sugar. So it's much sweeter. So on this one, you're going to get more raisin notes. You'll get more molasses notes. You'll get a little bit more spice on the back end. You still get that DNA Dalmore chocolates and, and orange, but it's just a beautiful balance between those particular whiskeys. Uh, I was actually um, uh, excited about this particular whiskey because I know that, uh, that uh, when we were originally coming up with the idea that like if you had a U.S. exclusive, right. what would it be? And I was like, you know, PX would be perfect still falls within the DNA of Dalmore of sourcing exclusive casks, but it's geared toward more of that American whiskey or bourbon palate. Well, and the reason why is because we grew up on, you know, Randall and I, uh, most of you know, Randall is, we, we pick a lot of barrels together. It's Americans grew up on like uh, sweet sugary cereals, mm -hmm. right? Sweeter the better. English, England or Europe, you go over there. Breakfasts were not sweet. No, bitter. Th bitter. And so they tend not to like some of the sweeter things until after dinner, that type of thing. But we, we sort of grew up on that. So that's like, you know, bourbon fits in our profile very, very well because it does have that sort of tendency for caramels, vanillas, all what Big you would size. have in your cereal, you know, sort of representation. And uh, one of the things that we were just talking about, because we actually was picking a barrel this morning um, and we were talking about this is that you know, we talk about finishing whiskeys and in, in, in sort of moving from cask to cask, going into like sherry, going to cognac, going to armagnac and all these type of things. And we talk about a lot and you guys are going to see a lot more of this going on. And one of the things we talked about was starting to for you all to start looking at different sherries and cognacs and stuff. And you don't have to spend a lot of money doing so, but you should actually familiarize yourself with how those taste. So that you sort of understand um, when a when a barrel is uh, when a whiskey is being finished in those type of barrels, what the general taste profile is going to be, because most of the stuff will give you a lot of information on the on the bottle. But if you've never experienced it, never had it on your lips, it's awful hard to imagine it. You know, I remember one time when I worked here as a, a, a very young in my career, a gentleman came back and brought a, a bottle of wine back and says, it doesn't taste like green apples. I don't want it. And we're trying to, my, fa my father at the time was like, well, well what, do you, what do you mean? Does, well, it says right here, it's going to taste like green apples. And it's like, not exactly like green apples. I mean, you're going to taste green apples in this, but it's not going to taste like a Granny Smith, you know, coming off the thing. And so the, having the, the sort of memories that you're going to get when you start drinking these things, I think is, is one of the ways that you can import and, improve your whiskey uh, drinking abilities is actually to try other things than whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. hundred percent. And speaking of which, what check. do you guys think of the 14? Yeah. First. All right. So we've had, we've had different types of sherry and we've gone into more of a PX sherry. Yep. We've had Oloroso and PX together, right? We've had um, more of the PX sort of finishes too. Now let's forget about that and we'll go to port. Yep, we're going to change gears <laughs> all together. We're going to change regions. We're going to change countries all the way across. 
Uh, Portwood for me is is uh, an exceptional. I think uh, the way I best describe this one is the uh, best bang for your buck that you're going to get from Dalmore. Uh, and it really is something truly, truly unique. It's, now, it's a non-age statement, which is a bit of a challenge in the United States. You know, for years, the Scotch Whiskey Association and the whiskey industry has said the 12 is good, 15 is great, 18 is better. Right. But in reality, it's more like you need to have a good distillate to go into good casks and then have a good blender to have a good aged whiskey. So, I mean, I've had some 30-year-old whiskeys that are terrible, and I've had some three-year-old whiskeys that are exceptional. Right. Um, actually, Greg, uh, when uh, when he came here last time, he gave me a little vial of something. He said, "Here, try this." I'm like, okay, sure. I was like, "Okay, I get." Butter it's arsenic. Scotch. Did you taste it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almonds. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, butterscotch. It was like butterscotch. It, it had like this uh, slightly like almost like uh, like marzipan buttery loveliness, and I was like, "What the hell is this? I don't get it." And he's like, "It's one year old aged distillate in Scottish oak casks," and it was fantastic. It was one year old. I mean, it's just because it's it's younger doesn't necessarily mean it's not any good. Uh, so, for and the combinations between age ages and what you're trying to do as a blender, it really opens the opens like your your painting palette more, yeah. like what you're going to use. That's a great way to put to it. Create to create this this final product is you got to have a lot of these tastes, and some of them you're going to get from older whiskeys, some of them you're going to get from younger whiskeys, right? Some of you're going to get some finished yeah. whiskeys, and those are all going to go in to create something. That's better than the sum of its parts. Exactly. And that's one thing I love about non-A statements is it, it's uh, like, and you just so eloquently put it, it's like a painter having a, a colors in front of them to paint. So if it's 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old, we're restricted on the fact that it has a, a minimum age statement. So if it's 12, the youngest liquid is 12. If it's 15, the youngest liquid is 15. If it's 18, the youngest liquid is 18. But when you have non-A statements, you just need to follow within the bylaws of Scottish whiskey laws, you know, which could be as young as three and older from there. Uh, and a few others uh, characteristics, of course. But for example, on the Portwood, you know, for Dalmore, because we're utilizing some casks that have held some significantly rich wines in the past, you know, we need to have something that's going to be robust and be able to hold up. So the DNA on Dalmore usually is about nine years in bourbon. Bourbon's going to give you a lot of the vanilla, the caramel, the baking spice, even a little bit of toasted coconut notes or tropical fruit notes that you get from bourbon. But the finish is really going to be that partnership because we could easily have done a three-year-old Dalmore and then added it into a pork cask. But you know what it would taste like? It tastes like pork. pork. So we want to make sure that we're having a whiskey that has a pork finish. Not You're building layers. It's a layers. Exactly. So this whiskey is going to have some whiskeys that are younger, and it's going to have whiskeys that are much, much older. So I would say if you're going to pick a range between Portwood, it's going to be between about nine and about, I'd say, 15 years, give or take. But it starts off in bourbon, and then it gets transferred into um, not just any port, but honey port specifically. So following that DNA of what Dalmore does, and I didn't touch about this at the beginning, but a little bit about what Dalmore is, is so significantly famous for. Like, I'll be the first to tell you that Dalmore makes great whiskey. I'll also be the first to tell you that just because I think it's great whiskey doesn't necessarily mean that you think it's great whiskey. It's purely subjective. So, but what I can tell you is the authenticity of the traceability of the actual whiskeys and where they went from cask to cask and the relationships that we've had. So again, there's going to be some amazing whiskeys around the world. Not just uh, not just Dalmore, but really the traceability is going to be or the authenticity behind it is really what Dalmore does really better than most globally, not just in Scotland. So Portwood is going to be aged in ex tawny port casks, and in true Dalmore style, Richard Patterson for years and his diaries always wanted to do a port line in the mainline extension, but it's really difficult to get tawny. Ruby you can get, tawny you cannot. Uh, in the case of this particular whiskey, we're actually utilizing 10-year-old tiny port casks and the final finish, but we're not using just any tiny port. We're using W&J Graham's tiny port casks uh, that I know of, and you may, you may have uh, some light to shed on this one as well. There's only two mainline extensions, again, not limited editions, but mainline extensions that actually use a tiny port finish, and that's going to be Dalmore Portwood and Balvenie 21. Really about it. And even the United States... There's very few tawny port finishes. No, that and actually, this is one of the, one of my suggestions when people want a really good port finished whiskey. Um, the the Dalmore is one that I that I do recommend because um, pound for pound, um, it, it it it's it's not an inexpensive whiskey, but it's a lot less expensive than finding other ones that are of just as good quality. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's All why right. I said at the beginning, this is probably your best bang for your buck. When it it is. Dalmore. 
if you're looking for a port whiskey, because any of those other ones, if a really good port whiskey is very expensive. Especially in, a lot of times it's usually a one-off. Um, I didn't realize this until getting into the scotch, like really diving into Dalmor. Uh, the sherry industry, about 70% of sherry production really is about seasoning casks for whiskey production. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with You're that. not drinking enough sherry. Yeah. We all need to drink more sherry. Yes. Uh, the way Support I just, whiskey. Drink more sherry. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the way that I think about it is uh, it's kind of like grilling. I mean, how many of you grill? We're getting grill season like right now. Yeah. So I can tell you now a little bit of salt and pepper on a steak for me is fantastic. That's like seasoning a sherry cask for whiskey. Now, if you take that same steak and you marinate it for like, you know, 18 to 24 hours, the layers are going to be much, much more complex, much richer. Now, again, is one better than the other? That's, again, that's subjective. And one isn't better than the other. But when you're looking at that, like, true, authentic Solera-style cask, this is where Dalmore really kind of shows that transparency. And when you're looking at port, the port producers make port. They're not really looking at the whiskey industry and seeing a secondary opportunity. They're no. like, no, we make port. We don't give, you know, we don't, we don't really care too much about you know, what you do after the fact. So uh, even, even uh, John Glazer, for example, John Glazer likes to do a lot of collaborations. Uh, there's a, there's a famous steakhouse in Tampa, Florida, for those of you that uh, make it down that way, it's called Burn Steakhouse. And uh, I was listening to John give a little bit of a lecture about doing a collaboration with, um, with, uh, with Burns. And they've done a number of releases with them, which are phenomenal. <clears throat> if you ever find them, Burns release number one, it's great whiskey. I think on the secondary market, it's going for about three grand now. Fortunately, it's way past my price point. Price point fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Uh, so they actually went to John Glazer and the buyer from Burns, went up to Portugal, went to nine different wineries, and they had to turn them away to buy a cask of Tawny Port, not multiple casks. So it's really, really, really tough to get these consistently. So Richard Patterson has always used them in finishes for like 25, 30, 40, his famous 50. You'll see Tawny Port in there because it's usually a cask. So in the case of this particular whiskey, using the 10-year-old Tawny consistently is one of his... Um, you know, bucket kudos, all right? So yeah. it's one of those uh, conquering a, you know, getting a forecast. They don't realize how much went into doing that. Yeah. So, so just getting the cast. Exactly. And, what do you guys uh, think of the portwood? Yep. Uh, really? So that's I, really nice. I love it. I have water. Some of you also have water as well. I'm, I'm that weird guy that walks around with a bottle of water in his pocket. So I had been more than once embarrassed my wife being like, oh, a new whiskey. Let me put some water in. And she's like, seriously, you carried that around with you? Yeah, I did. Uh, so if you can add a drop or two of water, if you still have some left, you'll see how those those esters really come alive and the compounds start to really. The other thing you can also use the what we call the Randall method: take a drink of water, drink the whiskey. Exactly. You know, it will it will give you a pretty good effect. So. Ready yeah. the next one? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. All right, fifteen. <clears throat> We're going to go back to that uh, analogy that we talked about earlier about that. Uh, what do Americans like to drink? Well, we like to drink things that are famous fairly uh, from our our background as children. This sugary cereal type pieces. Now I know it sounds strange for me to kind of start that way off with fifteen, but when I think about fifteen, if you haven't had a chance to nose this particular whiskey, this is probably the most like centric whiskey within our portfolio. This is our house style. This particular whiskey. I would put in front of very seasoned whiskey drinkers that have a wonderful palate that's well-developed and also people that have never really touched whiskey before because it just is so approachable. It's the most, you know, without lack of a better description. Something for everybody. Yeah. The most effeminate whiskey in our portfolio. I also say it's probably the most dangerous because you will drink a half a bottle before you realize it. Um, maybe or not. Speaking from experience, yes. Yeah. While writing, it sounds like it sounds like you you're in a confessional right now. So <laughs> here we go. Here we go. So this particular whiskey for me, and uh, one of my one of my former colleagues, um, who is um, a Scottish bloke, as he would say, uh, is uh, kind of gave me the best description for this one. So you know, being an American, raised in America, when I had something like a orange jam, it was very sweet. It kind of mimicked the sugar and also the citrus, but the, mostly the meats of the actual like um, uh, orange itself. So it had a little bit more of a caramel kind of characteristic versus when my colleague is like, oh, this reminds me of toast and marmalade. I'm thinking like this tastes nothing like toast and marmalade. But if you think about Scottish or if you think about European, again, it goes back to bitter more than anything else. It's more the rind 
So when you have marmalade and toast, this whiskey for me really kind of like comes to life. Like the first time I got to taste brioche bread with European marmalade was just like, I was like Christmas on a, on, on a piece of, on a piece of bread. And this whiskey for me, is kind of like that beginning of the fall season. It's crisp, it's bright, it's spicy, a lot of cinnamon, not a lot of nutmeg, even some coriander characteristics, but you're still getting that little bit of that chocolate and almost like candied orange flavor profile on the particular whiskey. So try this whiskey, but save a little bit because we got something we're going to try in just a moment. He's, he's learning. He's learning. He's like, I got you. So, but uh, I know it's, I know <laughs> it took him five years to get here, but there he is. What do you guys think of that particular whiskey? Wonderful whiskey, right? You can see how dangerous it is though. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be one that you want to share with your friends. If you like your friends, you'll bring out the 15. If you don't like them, maybe you'll bring something else out, but we won't give any specifics. So we've got this next truffle. This particular truffle has a pick on it and it's done this way purely because I'm gonna do something fun. So if you haven't had a chance to try this one, give a little bit of a small bite, chew it a few times, let it sit on your palate. Again, if you've got a gluten-free or if you're a um, celiac issue, don't do this one because it's got some like uh, gluten characteristics on it. Uh, but this is gonna be a dark chocolate that is actually made with fresh, excuse me, uh, cold press olive oil. So it makes the actual chocolate a little bit more of that richness. I always use the, uh, the term umame. So it's that fattiness. And it also has a dusting of ginger and cookie crumb on the outside of it, which really is perfect combination with the actual 15. So if you haven't had a chance to try this one, do a little bit of a sip afterwards, save a little bit of that whiskey because we're going to try something that goes back to our cookie, our, our, our cereal analogy. Sorry, you can't have one. No, it's okay. I'm good. Watch, right. my, watch my figure. Anyways, if you haven't already finished your whiskeys, this is going to be fun. So take your whiskey, take your truffle, put it right in the middle. I know, controversial. <gasps> I'm like blasphemous. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God, here they come. They're going to string you up right now. <laughs> you know, Salem is in Massachusetts. Your witchcraft you're using. Yeah, I mean, Boston's got a rich history of, uh, of uh, con controversy. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't had a chance... <laughs> Now take burning and hanging people for for magic. Yes, they do. <laughs> I can't even finish on that one. I'm sorry. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance, take that same truffle now that it's nice and dipped. Exactly. Well, Rich is still around. He still smacked me though. So for me, this is my cookies and milk. In fact, if you have dark, if you have um, um, chocolate chip cookies at home and you some Dalmore 15, it's one of the best combinations that I've seen. But you'll notice any like one of my favorite parts of cereal was the end. You had all the leftover the remnants in the bottom. Yep. So this, if you haven't noticed, you see those beautiful uh, like sugar granules at the bottom. So this is almost like that finish at the very end. But honestly, officer, I was just having cookies. <laughs> then the guy told me to finish the goodness at the end. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> all right. Now, this is why we gave you this nice little bottle of water. One, to keep those officers at bay, but also to rinse your glass to give you a little bit of a, uh, get those granules out of there. What do you guys think of that? I didn't see anything thrown at me, so I apparently I did something right. It's pacing yourself. We got one more whiskey. You're like, okay, let's see if this guy really kind of pulls it off. The last whiskey we got here is... Um, is a bit of an iconic whiskey for Dalmore. So this is the Dalmore Cigar Malt Reserve. Now it's gone through a bit of a, a change uh, over time since its creation. And Richard Patterson, you know, speaks um, about many different things. But, by the way, biggest... when this first came out, when it originally came out, I am, yes, old enough to remember this. When it originally came out, this was like groundbreaking. That somebody was going to actually tell you that here's a whiskey that you should have with cigars and was built for it. Exactly. And I always say this is kind of, uh, even though Richard Patterson has made some pretty exceptional whiskeys, I think in his lifetime, he's made over 2000 different types of, of uh, scotches, uh, not just from Dalmore, but across the board, even some independent stuff that he's done on his own. Um, I kind of think of this as his unicorn. Uh, for those of you that know a little bit of Scottish history, there's no pun in this one. Even though you know the Scottish animal is going to be the uh, the unicorn, which we got right over here, um, 
this really is something that he kind of created from a finished idea and kind of built backwards. So Richard, you know, if you listen to him talk about his whiskeys, he talks about his whiskeys a lot about how they're kind of like his children. In fact, this is kind of how he got his nickname because he was going into warehouses at the beginning of his career and he was nosing whiskeys at like one month, two months, three months, four months, which is common practice today. But back when he was in the 1970s, this was really uncommon. So they would make fun of him be like, oh, here comes the nose again. Uh, and it stuck. And, but it really kind of set the precedence for the next generation of whiskey makers because it really is about the importance of the beginning. You know, there was a joke that he kind of threw out there once when we were at a tasting. Uh, and he's like, you know, uh, how many of you have children? How many of you leave your children in a closet for three years and then come back to them? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a degree of things that you're missing during that time period. So, you know, he's like, it's important and it's really, really essential to understand how whiskey start at one month, two months, three months, four months to kind of see where they go. And he sees his whiskeys as, you know, as he puts it, his children. It's his job to cultivate them, to kind of nurture them, to give them guidance at the beginning of the creation and let them bloom and blossom into what they're meant to be. Now, he may want them to go one direction, but they're going to go a completely different direction. This is kind of about, uh, you know, parenthood and also like, you know, children growing up. So Richard, with the with the uh, the cigar malts, uh, it was one of the few whiskeys that I know of that he actually started with a finished idea and kind of worked backwards. And it has, like you had mentioned, gone through some changes over the years. Right. So when it came out, it was originally designed to be the only whiskey that actually was designed for cigars. And even today, that I know of, there really isn't any others that are out there that are still continuously running. There's a few limited editions that you'll find out there in the cognac world and even in a little bit in the Irish and also the Scottish world, but you don't really see them consistently being put out. And a lot of these whiskeys do tend to have a similarity to cigars instead of a complementary to cigars. So this whiskey, if you haven't noticed this one already, you'll notice that it does not have any smoke, doesn't have any peat. Now, a lot of people are like, well, it says cigar malt, it should be smoking. I'm like, well, don't worry. No cigars were entered in the making of the cigar, so you're going to be fine. But the, uh, the unique piece about this particular whiskey is it's really about encouraging the, um, the flavor profiles that you need, excuse me, flavor profiles that you need in, in enjoying a cigar. Uh, how many of you smoke cigars? What would you say is one of the number one killers of a cigar? What, when, before we go on any further, we need another bottle. Smell. Wait a minute. Want to jump up stairs and grab another bottle? Got one right There's here. one here. Would you mind pouring some of that out? Now, this is also a very good thing to talk about. Oh, I love this part. This is now, but smell that there's there is a this is this is a corked a corked whiskey. <laughs> and you don't get those too often, but they do happen. Good catch, by the way. And uh um, so, and, and, and this one isn't like overly corked and isn't, I've had them with like, you can't even open the bottle without smelling like, uh, musty basement. That's probably the best way or cardboard, musty cardboard. One way I figured out corked, corked whiskeys isn't necessarily on the nose. It's on the palate. palate. It, almost, it almost hits you. Like, I know it sounds weird, but like halfway down your palate, you'll almost get like this zing. Yeah. Like right here. It's like that spice, and you're like, okay, that just doesn't seem right. That's yeah. usually a good sign. And it does, and it does happen. I mean, it's, it, we get lost, but when you start using, when you're starting using, you're using natural ingredients, especially the cork, this type of stuff. To that, the only thing that can happen, by the way, if you get one of these at home, here's what I would suggest to you: if you get one of these at home and it smells like that musty cardboard, and you say there's something off about this whiskey, there is one thing you can do with other than like when you get wine this way, you get a cork bottle and wine, you. Put the cork back in, take it back, go back to the store. We'll take it back and we'll give you another bottle. Whiskey is a little bit more um, resilient. Uh, if you if you get one, um, what to do is a lot of times you can leave the cork off overnight. And it will actually blow off. It won't all the time, but if it's a little bit of corked, a lot of times it will. Yeah. But don't replace the cork the cork back in the next day though if you smell it and you're going oh it's gone i don't smell it anymore get put a, another cork to seal that bottle up don't put the cork back in but you, it does happen sometimes you can it, it'll go away you can get it to go away sometimes it just won't you smell it the next day and it's still there that's a corked bottle put the cork back in it now 
take it back to me or wherever you bought it from and say, I think I have a corked bottle of whiskey and we'll smell it. We'll never, we don't do tasting anymore. We don't taste people that been at their house and bring it back, but we'll smell it. And most of the times we can tell that it, it's been corked. It's been corked. Um, Speaking of which, and it happens. How is that one? Have you tried it before we pour them all out? I did. Good? Yeah, these guys, these guys okay. will make sure. I like our official uh, taste testers over there in the corner. <laughs> one of them slumped down. I think he's okay though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Said no. But this is good. Is anybody never had a corked bottle before? You've had a corked bottle before, plenty of times. Anybody not had one? All right, you have now. Smell it. Because it's important to like lock that into your memory, also. Okay. My wife, who says that she, you know, doesn't have that type of thing. We were at a restaurant one time. And she said, "Son's off with this wine." She knew immediately, and I went, "Oh yeah, we're we're you know we we got another bottle, but yep. you know it, you know but once you've once you, it's sort of one of those type of things. Once you smell it, you'll you'll identify it immediately now. Because most people go, "Oh, I think it's okay. It's just a little off," or they they'll make an excuse or they'll say like. I didn't really like that whiskey. And that's the worst thing that can happen for a whiskey yeah. maker. Is you say, I, you, tr- you drink it corked, not realizing it's corked, and you just don't like it. We got one shot at this for you to try something and like it. We, we want to make sure that we're giving you the best product that you can get that, we're gonna, that they're producing. So it's also important that way, too. Oh, this is a great uh, – and it's, uh, it's more often uh, than you realize that, that corked whiskeys are out there. It's not nearly. Yeah, but you don't really hit them that often. No, I mean, it's, I've it's opened subtle. up a lot of bottles. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> you don't hit them that often. But when you do, you you you. And now, what I love about this is now I have a group of of forty people now that if you have never had one, all now will recognize it, yeah. and that's better. I'd rather you know what it is than uh, drink the whiskey thinking there's something wrong with it. No, agreed. Absolutely, 100%. I actually did a whiskey masterclass for Jura, which is another one of our brands that we have. And uh, when I was in, uh, in in this particular city, I was in a retail store prior working during the day, and I found a bottle of the old edition of Jura 21. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to do a side-by-side. We've got our new 21. We've got our old 21. And I set it up and I poured it out. Normally, I drink these things ahead of time just to kind of try them out. I think we were running behind that day. So yeah. we sat down, he did the tasting. And immediately, as soon as I put it up to my nose, it was corked. Yeah, no, so we can tell. I was about like, oh, just, just give me, just grab two. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. But it was, uh, it was that education moment, anything else. I had a panic moment. And I'm not yeah. going to lie. I'm like, well, this is something special. I've never seen this before. It's terrible, but you're going to like it. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was one of those like it's 21 years. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Petricor. That's a good, yeah, that's a good a, one to do. Learn something new every day. I like that. I'm going yeah. to steal that one. But if you still have, by the way, if you still have the other one, if you still have the other, you didn't drink it, did you? No. Okay. Good. I worry. Sometimes I worry. Um, but now smell it against, the new sample that Kavork just uh, brought you and John just brought you out. Big difference, right? Moldy musty basement. I think it sounds like um like uh cardboard. Yeah, it's like got that wet, wet, wet card wet, wet, wet cardboard. Wet, yeah, wet wet cardboard. Now here's the real one that you're gonna try. So everybody's got now. Now that we've got the, now you've uh, got the real stuff and you're ready to go. Now we've had an education moment, but that's what we're here though. Uh, so the the cigar malt. Was one of those whiskeys that Richard is uh, is uh, is a big cigar ad- advocate, and I think for those cigar smokers, going back to so good those that raised your hand about the cigars, one of the number one killers of any cigar is dehydration. If your palate goes dry, your cigar is just terrible. And if you try to chase it to hydrate it with a little bit of whiskey, it's almost like throwing water into like hot grease. It is just an intense amount of spice, and it's just going to burn you. So one of the reasons why cigar aficionados really kind of go after more of the sweeter, more um, uh, uh, um, lighter characteristics like an Armagnac, a Cognac, or a rum is purely because it helps to complement, but it also does something that helps, uh, that is uh, common in those spirits is it helps with salivation. So most whiskeys, at least from my perspective, and, and, and you might be able to kind of add on this too, one of, my, one of my biggest complaints about Scotch whiskey or whiskey as a whole is it does tend to discourage hydration. You know, you do have to drink a lot of water to kind of stay up to pace. 
Um, and in, in the case of cigars, if you're not staying up to pace, it can be a really bad combination. So Richard, of course, is a big cigar guy. And there's a story that he told, he tells about like one of his biggest, um, one of his biggest uh, uh, pet peeves is when he would do a whiskey tasting and he'd go to the bar afterwards and he'd light up a cigar because you could smoke cigars in the eighties. And somebody would send over the peatiest, smokiest scotch that they could find, you know, like Lafroig, Lagerbrunn, Ardbeg, Bullmore. Uh, and he was, you know, with the, with the thought process of smoke and smoke is a great combination. But last time I checked, it's not like mathematics. Two negatives are not going to make a positive in this sense. Yeah. So it's just going to be an overwhelming like killer on your palate. So for him, he's like, well, if I don't, I can't find it. I'm just going to make it. So he decided to kind of start off with cigar malts, which was a combination of ex-bourbon casks finished in 30-year-old cherry casks. Very similar kind of maturation process that you see with like the original 12. But the combination of like the amount of share of uh, American white oak or, or ex-bourbon cask whiskey that went into sherry was a little bit different. The ratio was off a little bit different than the original 12. But then uh, marketing people got involved and the cigar industry started to have a bad light in public eye. And they started banning smoking around the world. They started like banning smoking in, in bars. Uh, and somebody in marketing was like, well, let's change the name because we don't want to have a bad light. And they called it to Grand Reserva. So, which... I have no idea what Grand Reserva means. Somebody's like, here's a Grand Reserva. I'm like, great. And that means that means what? What? Yeah. Uh, so you can see, you can tell how quickly that uh, that that tanked. So it didn't do too well. So he it was discontinued. Uh, and uh, as um, uh, smoking, and people would look for it. They looked everywhere. Like, like would look. You have a cigar, the Downmore Cigar Mall. People would look and ask all the time. It's almost as annoying as as Blanton's, but not quite. Um, of asking for Downmore Cigar Mall because it was just what you couldn't find it. Yeah, it was gone. Couldn't find it anywhere. And, the Grand and we Reserva, had explained that the Grand Reserver was a cigar mall. The same thing. And then, you know, and of course, it. everybody says, no, it's not the same. It is. And you have that argument. Yeah. So eventually um, it was brought back, you know, with a combination of cigar clubs and lifestyle and uh, uh, um, people looking for some of the more authentic experiences, you know, you got to give, you know, people in the United States, like, you know, you got to give Arnold Schwarzenegger a big hand because he did a lot for the cigar world. He kind of brought it back into the kind of main light. Uh, cigar malt became where cigar malt, where cigar malt, where cigar malt. So Richard Patterson was like, okay, I'm going to bring it back, but I'm going to bring it back in a different light. So this is kind of the third generation of cigar malt. Now this is going from cigar malt to Grand Reserva, to now Cigar Malt Reserva. So it's a combination of the original two. So this starts off in ex-bourbon casks for roughly anywhere between like nine and 12 years. Then it gets transferred into 30-year-old hand-selected casks that we get from Gonzalo Spias. But this is where Richard also brings in his love of wine. Now, if you sit down with Richard Patterson and you talk about wine, wouldn't realize that you're talking to one of the world's authorities on whiskey. Like he loves wine. And he travels, especially on holiday, to a lot of these particular small little bodegas all over France, Spain, Germany, you name it. So he's actually working in partnership with um, a pretty exclusive Bordeaux producer called Chateau Marbouze. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, I wasn't either. I had to look it up. And to find it, it's pretty hard. And if you do find it, it is really expensive. But one thing that they do well, uh, that they do outside of a lot of their uh, wine producers, is they do tend to age their wines longer. And I th if I remember correctly, it's, I think it's South Bank, but not 100% sure. But they do tend to age their wines longer, and especially in Lamazine. So you're going to get a lot more of those tannic notes. We're going to get a lot more of those big spice, like pine spice characteristics. So he'll take a portion of that whiskey once it's aged for uh, a number of years, and he'll transfer it into these red wine barriques, and he'll let it sit. And when he brings these flavors together, you get the Cigar Malt Reserva, which we have today. So this particular whiskey, at least for me, when I noticed this for the very first time, if you close your eyes and you bring it up to your nose, it doesn't nose like a scotch whiskey. Like it's soft. You're getting like honeysuckle. You're getting like uh, vanilla notes. You're getting a lot more almost like orange blossom. If you want to like walk down the trail of, of, uh, of winemakers, it's like walking down a meadow of fresh blooming orange blossoms on a Tuesday afternoon. Like it really kind of creates a little bit of an atmosphere at the beginning. But then on the on the palate, if you haven't had a chance to try this one, there's a it just it's bright, it's robust, a lot of ginger notes, white pepper notes, but a nice finish of a, just a touch of tobacco, and dark chocolate covered espresso beans. You know what? I, you know what also um, touches me about this particular um, 
expression is those other flavors, those last two flavors that you mentioned create for me also create it. And it, it, it's, it goes back to what his original idea for this was. If you notice, there's sort of these, I don't want to say sour notes, but these are, there, there's other bitter things that actually make your mouth salivate. If you drink this and just sit, sit there and for just like two seconds, you will start salivating. And to me, that's sort of like what, that's what sort of cuts it above. Cigar, cigar, um, whiskeys or rums and stuff like that have come along and they're great. A lot of them are excellent, but what they are is a more robust, deeper flavor things that they come out with. And I don't have to have a cigar with them because they're, they're, they're really chock full of flavor. They're depth defying thinking person's products. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think when when Richard was doing this, I think there was and I think this actually, I think, does it even better than the original. Um, and I think it's that wine cask. Um, it has a, a tendency to make you salivate. Yeah, it encourages hydration. So it makes you chew a little bit. I've right. seen a few of you just kind of walking, looking through the room. You tried this one and you started to. Yeah. Start to chew a little bit. When you chew, it creates that salivation. When you salivate, it coats your palate. It keeps your palate. Ready for that next draw of your cigar. Has everybody else got get that at all? I mean, I do, and it's it's probably me. I'm just weird. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I'm still weird. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> now I and I I live now, in my weirdness. Thank you very much. I I do I do come from a uh, humble little peninsula called Florida, where there's a lot of cigars. And in fact, when I got my ID, I think they handed me some Cohibas. It was kind of like part of the package. Um, I actually don't really smoke cigars as much as uh, as you would think, but I do eat. A lot, and I love food, and I think this is probably hands down the best food pairing whiskey we've got in our portfolio. Like it's, if you're not a cigar person, this is also great to pair with different types of foods. It's really great. Well, listen, hey, I want to first of all thank you for taking us on this journey. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really do. I mean, I hope it. I hope it shows. Um, no, your passion definitely I, shows through. We yeah, get we, we get a whole bunch of whiskey. We got a teaching moment. I think a little bit of everything tonight. Um, the 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 uh, dance portion of this evening will continue after we're done. We got a little past schedule, so we'll have to put that on for next time. <laughs> there you go. But I want to thank everybody for uh, coming tonight. We have a little bit of stuff to go over before we leave. But we're um, if you ever want to listen to this again, go wherever you get your um, wherever you get your podcasts and look for it's the liquor talking. It'll be labeled with. Uh, with with Ben's name on it from the Dalmore and you can watch this on. And uh, if you ever want to follow stuff along, go to Julio's liquors uh, Facebook page. It's on there to be a uh, Facebook live. And if you want to follow me about uh, different things I got coming up and I always try to give sneak peeks, follow me at whiskey journeyman, no E in whiskey, whiskey journeyman on uh, Instagram. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank you it. Much. Thank you. And I think if, uh, if, uh, if I remember correctly, when you and I were talking, this is only the beginning of next chapter. We got a lot more whiskeys to taste. Oh yeah, we we're we're gonna we're gonna continue this uh, journey. So keep an eye out. Remember, this one sold out. You don't want to miss it again. So thank you yeah, very, thank you very much, much. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. It's been fun.